Welcome to the Ministry Marks Podcast. I'm David Haynes, and I'm joined by Thomas Majors. Thomas, the topic of today's discussion is the woman at the well. We want to kind of overview the situation surrounding the woman at the well and then discuss how ministry would meet the needs of this woman at the well. So, Thomas, what are the facts? So, in this passage, it's found from John chapter 4, and I've got it marked off as 5 through 40 uh, of John chapter 4. And Jesus is traveling from Judea. He's going to Galilee. The most straight way to that point uh, is through the nation of Samaria. And the Jewish people did not like the Samaritans. Maybe you remember that story. Maybe you don't. Uh, there's in 722 BC, their uh, Assyrians come and they take the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, into exile. The northern ten tribes assimilate into the culture of the Assyrians. Basically, they intermarry and become part of it. They become the Samaritans of the first century. And so the Jewish people do not like the Samaritans because they have intermingled with the people. They have abandoned basically their, uh, the faith of their fathers, you could say. And so Jesus is going to be traveling through Samaria. He gets to a village where his disciples are going so they can find something to eat. They're looking for some kosher food for them in the, in the land of the Samaritans. And so Jesus hangs out at the well, and a woman, it's about noontime, a woman comes to the well and begins to draw water. Jesus steps outside of what we would consider or what they would consider to be the normal uh, normal means of operation for a Jewish person. See, their culture is based upon honor and shame. Anything that a person can do to bring honor, they want to bring honor to their name. They want to bring honor to their family. They want to avoid any type of shame. And so there are quite a few things that are shameful for a person to do, according to Jewish culture. In this context, it is that a Jewish person should not talk to a Samaritan. They typically did not travel through the area. They would go actually around, all the way around Samaria, so they didn't have to go through it. But they are going through it because they have a timetable they need to get to uh, Galilee. So Jesus talks to this Samaritan, but he's also talking to a woman. Now, in the first century culture, that is not, uh, that, is, that is something that can bring shame to a person when a man would talk to a woman in public. Even a husband would not talk to his wife in public. And so Jesus is there. He's at the well. This woman comes to draw water. It's about noon when she does so. So Jesus asks her for some water. Now, she's there at the hottest part of the day. She shouldn't be there. She should have been there at daybreak. She should go when the sun goes down. But yet she's going at the hottest part of the day because, well, she's trying to avoid people. She's expecting to go to the well that day and not see anyone, but of course, Jesus is there. He begins, he asks her to draw some water for him, and that kind of catches her off guard. She says, why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me, a Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman, 
for some water. And it begins this discussion. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to say, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This begins a discussion about some spiritual things, about, about who the Messiah is, about where a person should worship. And Jesus gets to this point in the discussion where he asks her to bring her husband. And of course, we know how she responds. She says, uh, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, this is verse 17 of that chapter. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Now that's significant because according to the Jewish culture in the first century, a woman, it was permissible for them to have up to three husbands, that they could be divorced and have up to three husbands. Anything over that was shameful. He, uh, this woman, she has had five husbands. And he says, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And of course, she goes in and says, wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can perceive you are a prophet. Uh, and she begins to talk to him about those spiritual things. Now, there's a lot we could say about the background, about the significance of the passage. And it is significant. You remember that Jesus had met with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He does not reveal that he is the Messiah to, Jew, to the Jewish Nicodemus, but yet he does reveal that he is the Messiah to a Samaritan woman who is living in a sinful, uh, sinful lifestyle at a well. He reveals that to her, but he, he doesn't do so to Nicodemus. Now, that, that is interesting. So we get to this point in the, in the story where they are beginning to talk about the spiritual things. She goes off to get people, and of course, his disciples come back. They have a discussion about ministry to uh, open your eyes. Look, the field is white for the harvest. I mean, it is about ministry, and Jesus is doing ministry. Now, let me ask you this, David. We Let's put ourselves somewhat in that position. Let's say that we have someone attend our church who is living in open sin, much like this woman. How, how do you respond? What are, some, what are some considerations and how do you respond to a circumstance like that? Yeah, Tom, that's a really good question. The one thing that that we are mindful of is any given Sunday, someone could walk into either of our churches who basically has the same background as this lady. Sure, they may not be a Samaritan. Sure, they may not be from Sychar and have ever drank from Jacob's well. But the idea is sin is what it always has been. People are involved in sin. But yet there's ministry. They are coming to a church. They're coming to the well. They're talking with Jesus. Things are going on where God is trying to penetrate that area of their lives. And so, Thomas, as I was preparing for this, I was just thinking about what would it be like if the woman at the well showed up at Trinity Baptist Church, Fulton, Mississippi, this Sunday morning, and and really the one the one verse that shapes my idea is verse thirty nine in that passage where it says that many from the town believed in Jesus, 
because of the woman's testimony. I mean, I mean, she had just met Jesus. And then the next thing we know is she is an absolute evangelist sharing the gospel of the Lord with others and saying, hey, y'all, come out here. This guy has told me everything about myself. And I believe it was a really big deal. So as we're thinking about it from our ministry perspectives, my question is, and our question as we're framing this is what would ministry to this lady look like at our church? What would it look like in Fulton, Mississippi? What would it look like in Corinth, Mississippi? What would it look like at Trinity Baptist and Holly Baptist if this lady came to our church? Now, you mentioned something that that, that I think I'm going to disagree with just a little bit. You said, what if this lady, you know, engrossed, engulfed, inflamed in sin comes into your church? And I, I think she's been changed. I think she's been saved. I think there is a difference that has happened. I think she's a new creature. I do. I think there are those things. So, but, 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 but to support what you've said, whenever I was first saved, man, there was a lot of, of, of sanding the Lord had to do. And whenever we first come to the Lord Jesus, there are still aspects of our life that, that are not right and that are not correct. And we must be discipled and we must be led in the way of the Lord to get to allow the Holy Spirit of the Lord to do His work in our lives. So, so what I'm thinking is is how we would handle her at our church. Thomas, what are your thoughts? Well, I just need some points of clarification. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and the point of clarification would be this: uh, is the you said you thought the woman was saved? I think she's saved when she talks with Jesus. And when she talks to when her. she when she talks with Him. And knows that he is the Messiah. I think that's the point of salvation for her. But, but not before that. Not before. No, not before. So, so, so what are you disagreeing whoop, whoop, with whoop, me whoop, on? Whoop. I got you. <laughs> my, my perspective has been we're talking with the woman at the well as a saved person. Oh no no! Say I'm you're no, thinking no, as I'm a thinking lost she's person. Lost. Oh, you're 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 at the. She hadn't quite come to the realization that this is the Messiah. I totally get it. I was looking at it from a totally different perspective. Well, this is going to be a great podcast discussion now that we're on the same page. <laughs> all right. So how would I? All right. So let's. How would I handle this? Because we have no idea what happened. Person after after the discussion after she. Uh, she left. We know that she went to the town folk. They came back. We don't know what happened after that. We don't. We, we assume, I think I would assume, and I do assume, mm -hmm. that, that she would right those wrongs, whatever they would be. I so, agree with you. So I'm, I was looking at it from the standpoint yeah. of ministry to a person who is living in open Living sin. In sin. And my perspective was one who has just come out of open sin. So hey, let's let's travel down your road for a little bit and let's think about that. Okay. And you, wait, now you said a person who is just coming out. So that that's totally different ministry. Totally than different. Yeah. Totally different. So the way I have framed my perspective about this is ministering to her as a new believer. How would we as Trinity Baptist minister to her as a new believer? So that, that's the way I've been thinking about it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. How about I start? Absolutely. And I confront her on her sin. Do it. Nail her to the wall, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> because I think there's some principles that we can find what yeah. Jesus does here yeah. that we can speak to people about sin. And that's...
I'm just drawing that from my principles from the passage. And, and I think what, that's what Jesus does when he goes to her. He begins a conversation. He meets her right where she is. This is some things that we can learn about the need of the gospel in people's life. It doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter where they are. doesn't matter what they believe. doesn't matter what they've been doing the night before. All of that, they still need to hear about Jesus Christ and about him being the Messiah. But it is also, I think, very appropriate to confront people on sin. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus knows what is happening in this lady's life, and he confronts her on that sin. He doesn't step around it. He doesn't walk around it. I mean, he just head on begins to talk about it. Now, and I think in some of my areas of ministry before, there have been these ideas with people that you can't talk about sin. Uh, you can't talk about people sin in other people's lives. You you don't, that's something that's to be something that, yeah. Silent. <laughs> let's let's be honest. That's something that you uh, church members whisper about, but they don't talk to that person that's about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus confronts the person, and he does so. And we, I think, we get our cliche, our Christian cliche from this passage of love the sinner, but hate the sin. And Jesus does it so perfectly. He, he does so. He does so in a way that he affirms this woman, but also condemns her sin. He doesn't affirm her sin. He affirms her. He answers questions. They have a great dialogue, but yet he confronts the sin as well. Would you agree that most of the time Christians are surprised when lost people act like lost people? Yes. <laughs> I mean, just look at our culture today and you see uh, the things coming out of Hollywood, the, uh, the, the gross immorality, you could say, of our culture. And people say it all the time. I, I just can't believe that, I, that America is going this way. Or I remember back when it was. But it's lost people acting like lost people. Exactly. And so this woman comes and the questions she have are questions that any lost person would have. And the actions she's been engaged in are lost people actions. Exactly. She's been living just like the world. She is of the world. She's part of the world. But her world is about to change whenever she meets Jesus. So go ahead and tell us what else you were thinking about, about how Christ confronts her. So first of all, I think one of the principles that we can find from this passage when it's confronting people about sin is that we should confront people about sin but also that we should expose false beliefs. Because when Jesus is talking to her, she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, okay, but there's coming a time when, when people are going to worship in spirit and truth. And so Jesus is confronting her false ideas, or her false beliefs, and, uh, and there are times where we have to confront people on their false beliefs. I agree. I, I wonder how much whenever we see sin in the lives of people, I wonder how much of that sin is due to the false belief of, well, there is no God or the false belief of 
I'll never stand before God, or whatever the false belief may be. It may be some type of heretical teaching where this sin or this practice is okay, or it has been justified from someone else. So that that, that is still alive and well in our culture. That's what I was going to say as well. Not only is it false belief when in the realm of theology, theology proper, or in the realm of religion, but it is also false belief in the realm of morality as well. And I think we see that today with. Uh, with a lot of people who believe that it's okay to do something when it's not actually uh, according to the Bible. It's not okay. But then also I would say one of the principles that we can find in this passage is that a, genu- a genuine experience with Christ is evident in the conversations we have. I mean, because this lady, she ran out of there and she began to tell everyone, hey, come meet this guy who told me everything about my life and began to draw people to Christ. So again, one of the main principles that I take from this is to love the sinner, but hate the sin. See, our concern for a person's spiritual aspect does not negate our concern for what his or her ethical behavior is. So what we do is we we confront them on their sin, but we also confront them on their ethical behavior as well. So whatever she was trying to avoid, she was trying to avoid conversations. She was trying to avoid certain things, but Jesus confronted it along the way. So that's that's some of the principles I would take from confronting sin uh, at the, beforehand. Now, let's hear from you and let's hear about ministering to her after she has been saved. So as you and I were, were, were planning this discussion, my mindset was what happened with the woman afterwards. So in, in my, in my mind, I began to think, well, if I were to the pastor of first Baptist church, Samaria, and this lady has just had an amazing experience with Jesus. And she shows up at the church where I serve, um, how how would we meet her needs? I believe that every person has needs, especially new believers. Oh, there are so many needs for a new believer. And how would we meet her? How would we meet her needs? So now at Trinity Baptist Church, someone could walk down the aisle basically any Sunday and take myself or one of our one of our one of our trained leaders by the hand and say, I, I need to be saved. We would then walk that person through several biblical passages about salvation. And I believe we could show them how to place faith in the Lord. Of course, our job as a ministering church then begins as that person then would, would make a public profession of faith as they would then hopefully soon follow the Lord and believers baptism begin being engaged in the ministry of our church. But as I begin to think about how we would how we would handle that person or how we would deal with that person, how we would educate that person, the first thing I thought of is a, a new members class. Uh, some larger churches have new members classes that are ongoing. You know, every Wednesday night, you can go to this new members class. Our church doesn't offer that. We offer periodic new member classes. We'll walk them through that survival kit for Christianity, and a person learns kind of the basics 
of theology and kind of the basics of our church and maybe even how our church works and and why we are what we are and how we do what we do. Uh, but Thomas, for her, I'm not sure a new members class is enough. I think our new members class is like six weeks or eight weeks or something like that. But I really don't think that is long enough. I think there, or I think there must be detailed information that is given this lady. I believe, uh, who is it? Robbie Gallaty. Robbie Gallaty states that if you're going to disciple someone, you need to block off 18 months where you meet with that person and you talk with that person and you discuss scripture with that person. I believe it's, it's becoming friends with that person. You become friends with that person. And so I would hope that there would be people in our church who would, who would, who would strategically befriend and disciple this lady. It wasn't very long ago at Trinity Baptist, it's been about a year or so ago. We had a Chinese lady who started coming to our church and uh, her English was very broken. Uh, We did not know about her relationship with Christ. She identified as a Christian. But if you know much about Chinese culture, a lot of times they identify with the religion of their ancestors. So we did not know if she was only a Christian because of her mother or her grandmother, or if she, in fact, was a Christian herself. So we began, there were two ladies, one specifically who started talking with her, meeting with her about religion. There was another lady who started meeting with her and her husband about English as a second language, kind of teaching them about English. But through the ministry of those two ladies, one with an English ministry, the other with a much more religious ministry, we were able to see her place faith in the Lord, follow Jesus in baptism, uh, and we are hoping that her husband very soon places faith in the Lord. But we saw a little bit of that, and it was just baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. All right, I've got a question. Life. Yes. All right, so let's say that the woman at the well, she gets saved and she shows up at Trinity Baptist Church. Do you begin the process of church discipline with her? No, we do not. We do not begin that process. What we do is I believe we begin the process of education. I think the educational ministry needs to be a prerequisite to a discipline ministry. If this was a church member, if this is someone who's placed faith in the Lord, if this is someone who has been a member of Trinity Baptist for 30 years and they're engaged in these activities, I believe it's different than a new believer uh, who has just placed faith in Jesus. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's two different things what we're discussing at this point. What, what are your thoughts on that? This, this idea of repentance, this idea of restoration and that's that's what I'm thinking of. Can she be? Is there is there restoration in the life of the woman at the will? I don't think there is. I think it well. well I think it is storing, not restoring. But she's had she has messed up relationships yeah. with. So, so it's not restoring those relationships. Okay. She is. Is she? Is she? Is she? Is she restoring those relationships? Is she? Hmm, boy, that's a really good question. I, I would say she is. I don't look at church those. discipline as yeah. as spanking someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, I, I look at church discipline as this process of walking with someone who has sinned. Now, now I know that in Matthew eighteen that is a brother who sins against you. 
this this process of restoring that relationship. But but are you just educating? Are you are you trying to are you trying to get this person to to be a part? There's got to be more than just teaching. There, I feel like there has to be something else. You and so I, I have I'm trying to get you to definitions of restoration. Yes, I now I understand your idea and what you're working from theologically from the viewpoint of restoration. And yes, I agree. There is much restoration that needs to be done in her life, and it would be the the ministry of the church to go on that journey with her. And I and I'm not sure how long that journey would take. I mean, it would it would take a long time. First step. What would be first step? Oh, oh boy, that's a really good question. What is the first step in her life with all of the wrongs that she has? Um uh, wow. Okay. The first the first step, I believe, is public profession of faith, baptism, and then uh, well okay, okay, now she has already gone to some of these people possibly because many in the town believed verse 39, many in the town believed. So have some of these people already has the first step already been made. I would say it very well could be made in the lives of some of these people uh, already. So I'm not sure what the first step would need to be. What are your thoughts? Do you have something in mind right now? Well, I think of course, for this lady, let's assume because the text never says so, but let's just assume that she has made a pub that she is going to make a public profession that she is going to be baptized so that next step i mean i feel like it should be public repentance public because her and that sin, would be in the area of the church public repentance at the church hey guys this is who i was but this is what has happened is that what you're saying yeah and, and not necessarily going to the details we don't need that kind of stuff in a church but uh, but to go through this public idea where, say, listen, y'all all know what kind of person I was. God has changed me, and he is doing something new in my life. You know, he is, he is making me into a new creation and begin to uh, just, just to right some of those wrongs. Uh, so I, I understand what you're saying by education. There needs to be discipleship. But... There's probably discipleship and some, it's not all just learning, head knowledge. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And, and one thing that I had written down, would the ladies of, let's say, let's say she joined a church, would the ladies of that church accept her and minister to her? If she joined Trinity Baptist, if she started attending Trinity Baptist Church Sunday morning, would the ladies of our church accept her and minister to her knowing that she could you even could you say she's damaged goods? She is, she has had such a bad history, such a bad past. Would the ladies of our church accept her? Because I think it's going to need to be a a lady discipleship ministry and a ladies educational ministry. A, a, a women's ministry union, buddy. Here's the missionary trip for them uh, is to be able to minister to this lady. And then also wrote down would the men of that church be able to minister to her would the deacons be able to minister her to her would the would the teachers would the Sunday school class she would be in would those people be able to surround her with love and minister to her and so then i began to think about how would we make that possible is this the type of person which you've already said it everyone knows but as a pastor would we then go to some of these key ministry leaders hey miss wmu Hello, Miss Women's Ministry Director. Uh, hello, Chairman of Diggins. Hello, Sunday School Teacher. Hello, whomever. Well, we go to them and say, listen, this lady needs ministry. 
And we've got to make sure we get this right because there's a lot riding on her. There's a lot riding on this is a new believer. We don't want to stunt her growth. We want to see her grow in the Lord. Those are some of the thoughts that I had, but I don't know. I don't know how to go about it. I'm asking more questions than I'm giving answers really at this point. Well, I like what you said, though, that this this woman, we need to get it right with this woman. If she has a changed life, wow, what a public testimony it is to the power of Christ in someone's life. And I'm sure you can think of some people, maybe even in your own community, in my community, who if they get saved, I mean, they are just, I mean, a revival is starting, you yes. know, because, because God can, God can obviously do that. When a person like that gets saved, there needs to be this, uh, this ministry where we're focusing in on, uh, where we're focusing in so that their life becomes a testimony to the power of God. All right. While while you're continuing to think, let, let me let me let's let's get on a kind of a, a modern cultural thing that's going on right now at this time, and uh, and and you may be thinking exactly what I'm thinking. Jesus what's going walks, on right brother. Now. That's right. That's exactly that's what I just wrote down. If there is a man at the well when it comes to October of 2019, it's Kanye West. Kanye. It's Kanye. So just so just so this was brought to my attention at Trinity's homecoming. We had Dr. Matt Brown, Gospel Rain Podcast. Many of you listeners know Dr. Matt Brown. Matt preached at our church at Trinity Baptist, and he brought up Kanye West. And I did not, I hadn't done much research on it. I thought, man, man, what you doing talking about Kanye? And uh, and he said, I don't know if you've heard or not, but Kanye has professed faith in Christ. And our homecoming was the day before Jesus Walks was released. It was to be released the next day or that night that night at midnight it was to be released and Matt Brown just said yeah, I'm not sure I don't know I don't know and 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 it was everything Matt Brown said was absolutely fantastic and and I was curious I did a lot of reading that Sunday afternoon I was curious and man it seems for real it seems for real. My wife, so my wife and I, as we were walking this morning for exercise, now if you could look at me, you wouldn't think I ever exercise, but we walk about 30 minutes every morning. And as we were exercising this morning, she last night listened to Kanye West and he was giving just a little bit, it was like a three minute thing, a little bit of testimony. And he was talking about the book of Ephesians, but he was mispronouncing Ephesians. But April said, hey, I don't mind at all. He is a baby believer, and he doesn't even know. She's there were two or three things that he didn't say correctly uh, in our Christianese. He's not versed in Christianese yet, but I'm down with it. I've been praying for Kanye. I hope God does an absolute great work in his life, in his family, and in his ministry. All right, this is where we have to be careful. Yes. And let me see if I can articulate what my what my thoughts are. We live in a Christian culture, subculture, you could say, where we idolize people and events. And if we are not careful, we will put him on a pedestal. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. It's not my place to determine if his salvation is legitimate or not. That's between him and the Lord. And right now, I'm just I'm just praising God for for what the fruit I see right now, and I'm not putting any stock in the future. 
because that's not between me and God. That's between Kanye and God. And but but I can praise God for the fruit that I see. And so there's there's a little bit of a distinction I'm trying to make. And I don't know if it's as clear to you as it is in my head right now. See, we put people on pedestals. They can never do any wrong. They can always, you know, everything they say, everything we we idolicize them to a point where well, we just need to praise God for the fruit we do see and what we have seen and and all the rest is left up to God and and what he is he is doing in that person's life. So that's kind of my take on the Kanye thing, but I agree. Kanye is one of those people right now, whoever those, I heard that there were a few people who had kind of covied, around, covied up, covied around him, you know, and that they are discipling him and ministering to him. And so I hope that continues and I hope he grows in his faith and, and, and uses his platform for gospel ministry. Man, that would be incredible. So Thomas, in, in, in this culture of 2019, is, is Jesus still meeting people at the well in Corinth, Mississippi, and Fulton, Mississippi? Yeah, the, those people who are on the outside, the pariah of the community, God is still meeting them. Jesus is still meeting them at the well, and he is changing their lives. And I mean, I'm one of those people. He has changed my life. Uh, I'm sure you can say the same thing. He's changed your life. God is got to still do that. He's still in the business of changing people's lives. Yes, he is a good, good God. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for the Minister Mars podcast as we discuss the woman at the well. Tune in next time.